Hi, I'm Ambika Gotham Pai. I'm a writer and the chief strategy officer of an ad agency called Mechanism. I'm a mom of two little babies and the sort of person who just cannot stop thinking. You are listening to Corner Office Breakdowns, a podcast that reconciles humanity and the workplace. Here we dive into conversations that usually happen in whispered tones or behind closed doors and bring them to the center, contemplating and breaking down the way leading and living have historically been done and rebuilding them together. Corner Office Breakdown sits at the intersection of business and leadership, equity and emotion, parenthood, womanhood, personhood, and as crazy as it sounds, the meaning of life. All of the guests you will hear from are people who have fundamentally changed my outlook. They may shift yours too. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you like this podcast. I hope you love it. I hope you share it. And I hope you subscribe. It is Saturday night at 9.40 p.m., and the kids took longer to go down than usual. I am sitting here with my third glass of wine and my half-eaten enchilada takeout dinner and realizing a few things. One, it is really hard to keep going and doing at the pace that I have been going and doing. Working a full-time executive level job, taking care of two children who are very, very young, um, nurturing a marriage and friendships, and also now suddenly within the last six months, launching this podcast, which I have grown to find so much fulfillment in, has been incredible and incredibly, incredibly challenging. So you're catching me at a moment when I don't quite know how to navigate and I'm not quite sure what the future will hold. So more to come there. But I am also in a moment of incredible appreciation and gratitude for where I am right now. When I first thought about having Anushe Hussein on corner office breakdowns. I had just finished recording maybe episode four and had asked Advertising Week to help me get in touch with her because she was my dream guest for season one. And ultimately, I ended up just messaging her directly and she was so kind and gracious and lovely to me. And I'm realizing now, as season one comes to a close, the next episode will be the last one of season one. And as we are developing season two, that I am just so 
in awe that I am here right now and that almost 10,000 people, which to me just feels, I mean, incredible, are listening to these episodes and that I have the immense privilege of being able to share ideas and the things that keep me up at night and hopefully probably keep many of you up at night too so anushe is the author of a book called the pain gap she talks about maternal mortality rates and the atrocious gap in women's health and health care when it comes to lack of knowledge, lack of research, lack of resources, lack of support, lack of treatment. And her work to me is critical. And if given the right platform is pivotal. And Anushe is also a feminist policy analyst who focuses on women's health legislation. She's a regular on-air guest on CNN, MSNBC, and PBS, and she writes about politics, gender, and race um, in every publication from Forbes to CNN to USA Today. Uh, And she also has her own podcast called uh, Spilling Chai. While The Pain Gap is her first book, I know she has a long and amazing career ahead as a writer, and we get into some of those potential topics. Some are jokes, some are not uh, in this conversation, but really everything about this episode is super meaningful to me and that I feel like I have both realized a dream of mine that I didn't know I had. And I've also learned from and made a friend in someone like Anushe, who I feel is truly working to push the world forward with a sense of brutal honesty, optimism, and some joy and some wit and a wink and a laugh. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. I am dying to hear what you all think, and I'm sure Anushe is too. And we will actually be raffling off a few copies of her book after this episode launches. So follow Corner Office Breakdowns, follow my personal Instagram at GP, and follow Anushe Hussein. If you Google her, I promise you will find her, and I will put her bio and her information in the show notes. (laughs) Okay. All right. This is our second time talking. Because there was some technological malfunction. Who knows? Might have been my fault. I genuinely have no idea. But we were saying, like, tech issues are the issues of our generation. 
<laughs> the like Zoom that. generation, the COVID moms, oh, all yeah. of the things we identify with these days. Pandemic mom. Yeah. yeah. And technical difficulties. Yeah. Definitely yeah. Be part of our new, new language, new language. <laughs> Every meeting starts with that, right? That's the first 10 minutes of every every meeting, every call. You just have to make the space for 10 minutes of technical difficulty. Yeah, what about people? And sometimes <laughs> I do it too. It's like, turn your mic on, your mic is yeah, off. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, but I'm so like grateful that you are re-recording with me because this conversation um, is so important to me. And again, like I was, I was gifted um, the knowledge of your book by my breathwork teacher, um, as I was trying to process my own traumatic, uh, delivery and hard pregnancies and miscarriages. Um, and also as I've been trying to figure out, you know, my role in the world to a certain extent and, you know, what I believe is the most important stuff we all need to know about ourselves and our society. And so the pain gap, which is your book came into my life when I needed it so deeply. And after I read it, I was like, okay, this woman is my dream podcast guest. And I told our producer at um, advertising week, I was like, can you use your connections to help me? Oh and then ultimately God. I just wrote a, an effusive email to you and you were like, okay, we can talk. No, my God, it's such an honor. You don't understand how much that means to me. You're going to make me cry. Um, it means so much when uh, women say that to me because, and you saying that to me because I feel like we are made to feel like we're so alone. And I thought for so long that I was the only one, right? Yeah. Like now we have so much language. I really appreciate that about, you know, birth trauma or yes. X, Y, Z, like things we never talked about before. So yeah, it means so much to me because I thought my, what happened to me only happened to, to me. Yes. Um, and of course, like so many women, right. Going at it over and over in my head, gaslighting myself, being mm -hmm. gaslit, mm -hmm. um, so that means a lot to me because uh, I felt alone for years. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think so many of us have, um, I think loneliness is one of the main tenets of motherhood, honestly, yes. especially in this era and in this era, in this country, in I this country. Yes. Yes. So Anusha, I want to actually just start with you kind of telling everyone about the pain gap and what your story is around this topic. Um, and then kind of the breadth of the book. I mean, it covers so much and it has so many women's stories in it. Mm -hmm. um, so just as a, as a level set and a grounding, I would love to start there. Um, I love that question. That is a huge question. I could talk for that for like um, an hour. Uh, first of all, I didn't intend to write about women's health um, and the concept of women's pain. Mm -hmm. um, I really set out to write about America's maternal mortality crisis and maternal yeah. health crisis. Um, and then I, I mean, it, it's amazing. Once you start writing the book, once you start writing a book, you know, the, it's, I mean, it's like, I've had so many women come up to me, white women, mostly mm -hmm. being like, I don't write a book and how do I do it? Let's have coffee and I want to pick your brain. And I'm like, everybody's journey is so different. 
Yeah. When I say it took me 40 years to write the book, no, it took me three months and then we had a whole bunch of other stuff, but to get to the point to have yes. that, oh no, this is not the topic. This is the topic. Right. Um, and so many people telling you nobody wants to hear about this. And so so many white men and white women, because publishing in, in America is very white. It's so white. It's whiter than anything. <laughs> and it's it's still kind of very white. So I had a lot of people telling me that, you know, nobody wanted to focus on on uh, a book like this. But really, once I started writing, despite how specific you have to be in the book proposal, mm -hmm. um, the publishing world is its own world. And, and I, I really I mean, I I kind of was just thrown into it. Yeah. But um I just started writing. I mean, the, the 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 book opening with that story of my of my childhood nanny dying, giving birth in Bangladesh. I I had not told that story in so long. Yeah, like that that part just makes me want to just. I just don't know how that happened. Like, I kept that story with me and never said it as soon as I got to the states because I you know I came here for college and mm -hmm. and I thought that you know the first kind of maternal the brush I had with maternal health and maternal mortality was started with me, but yeah. it didn't. It actually, it started with her. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like I'm going to start crying now. Just, just, I, I can't even say her name without getting emotional because I sometimes I want to make myself laugh because I feel like she would just look at me and be like, Oh my God, you wrote a book and <laughs> put me in the opening chapter. But oh. she, was, she was like, like my chap, my childhood nanny for like 15 years. Yeah. I mean, you know, in Bangladesh, it's, it's, it's very different. She was like a, a second mom. And, um, so anyhow, so it, it's just so unexpected where the book takes you, but discovering the pain gap and then stumbling, doing research for that, and then stumbling upon the uh, credibility gap, mm -hmm. um, the knowledge gap, the lack yes. of research in women's health, uh, the credibility gap, of course, uh, you know, women just having no credibility, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We don't believe women for nothing, especially concerning our bodies and anything, you know, like, oh, my back hurts. I've been raped or my boss is grabbing my ass at work. It's, yeah. I mean, and you saw it up until so recently with Amber Heard. Yeah. You know, this, this perfect victim kind of that we have. And, you know, Maya Dusenberry's book, Doing Harm, really, uh, really, I feel like her book is so important in kind of mm -hmm. laying out these these three uh, kind of factors. But I'm kind of obsessed now with women's pain. Mm -hmm. um, emotional and physical, mm -hmm. uh, because we, we expect women to have such a high threshold, right? It's like biblical yes. Yes. <laughs> women's pain. Yes. And then when we tell you that we're in too much of it, or if we think something's wrong, nobody believes us. Mm -hmm. Like there's even studies now that show that women wait on average, I think 20 to 30 minutes longer to be, uh, seen in the ER when they're complaining mm -hmm. uh, about their pain, you know, chronic pain, the majority of people who suffer from chronic pain are women. Yes. But still we have the majority of testing uh, is done on men, even, even the mice. I think yes. I talked to you about this before. Yes. The mice patriarchy is my, I, I'm going to take mice it on. Patriarchy. There is a white mice patriarchy. Oh my oh goodness. My goodness. It, it, <laughs> I mean, the white men are even there, but we don't even include <laughs> a white female mice and you know yeah. for so long it was like oh, is it because women are so complicated and their hormones and but it's actually cheaper like I've spoken to doctors there's actually cheaper to leave women out um but also ah. it wasn't until the 1990s 
that the National Institute of Health in America and the NIH, I mean, do Mm -hmm. we know what this is? Mm -hmm. And the FDA even had mandates to include women in their research. Wow. So there was even actually, and you know, it took women a while to find out, but once they found out, I mean, I talk about this in my book because there's a little bit of background to how like women scientists got together and was like, you have to include us in these studies. And by the way, things have not improved, but one of the studies they stumbled upon in the Mm eighties was a uterine cancer study that was conducted on, on all men. You're joking. Yeah. Like shit like that. I'm going to curse on your, on the Oh yes. This is an explicit podcast. (laughs) podcast I, I have two favorite <laughs> words you know but I think so, they're I mean, mine like some insane shit um so on uh, that's I think how like the national organization of like women scientists or whatever was was first founded but things have not improved I mean oh my gosh. I always say this like closing the knowledge gap it's so solvable so much of this stuff is so solvable yes it's really it is infuriating. um and the reason I mean it, it, and during COVID, we actually saw it in real time, mm-hmm. right? We saw it in real time. And this is perhaps, you know, one of the most anticipated vaccines of our lifetime. And yeah. we saw the gendered impact, even if you couldn't articulate it um, as an analyst or as a women's health expert, people could see it. Okay. We yes. see that that the gendered impact of COVID from, from day one. But yeah. yet when it was time to for the vaccine freaking trials, we left women out in real time. And then even though we knew pregnancy, uh, the, a pan, the virus was more dangerous uh, in pregnancy, even yes. though we knew 70% of our healthcare workers are women, they're going to be exposed to it more. And then what did we do? We isolated women even further. We made them go to ground zero during a pandemic, mm-hmm. birthing in hospitals. Yes. So we put a mask on and choose one person to take with them. First, we took yes. their spouse away. Yeah. That's, Not that's exactly all- when I was about I mean, to give birth. Yep. I mean, I can't imagine your trauma. I mean, I, I actually want to write a book about pandemic moms just on that. Yes. What the hell were we doing to women? That's like abuse. Oh my gosh. I had oh to like goodness. run away my, um, my OB. Cause I lived in New York at the time. And my oh OB my when I was seven months pregnant was like, do you have anywhere else you can go? Our hospitals are so overwhelmed. Like we genuinely don't know what the situation will be. So my husband oh my Abby God. and I moved into my parents' house in Cleveland. Um, that probably saved your life. It saved my life, um, but but it had a lot of other complications with it. Yeah, then you're because with your parents. <laughs> I was living at home with my parents, which you know, in its own way, I had a built-in support system, which a lot of COVID moms didn't have. So that was incredible. Um, but I also gave birth with an auntie. And for people who don't know what that means, it's like an an Indian, uh, older Indian woman in my community who thought about the process and mental health in pregnancy and women's healing and pain very, very differently. Oh, no. And there was a lot of gaslighting that happened in that experience oh, of like, no. it can't be that bad. Like my, I didn't get my epidural oh. for hours and I was, uh, you know, things like that. And so this idea of like, we are gaslit into not believing ourselves. I was like, oh my God, I'm being such a whiny B-I-T-C-H, like I'm a baby. I thought I had a higher pain tolerance than this. And looking back, I'm like, oh no, I was like an act of labor. Like that's the most painful thing you could possibly go through. But I was being told, no, we don't want to give you the epidural yet and so forth and so on. 
and this gaslighting us. I did. Yes. Sorry. No, I actually did a small, um, small, like mini podcast episode on aunties, Mm -hmm. basically being mean girls. I had an auntie come to, to me the day after my book was published, not only to ask if I self-published the book, but why did I go to the hospital to die? Like it was all my fault. Yeah. So like aunties are like, like, you know, and, and there's really uh, extremes, right? Like, yes, so my there's of course aunties that you love. Yes, like, yes. Who so are your great. second mothers and your true so auntie fabulous. aunties? Yes. But the other aunties, the ones who are always like critiquing you, telling you you're fat, you're never going to get married and all this crap are just like toxic, mean uh, older bullies. Yes. I w- had like zero confidence growing up because of like, the Indian philosophy of like, you're too sensitive. We're just going to point out all your flaws and tell you how it is. Oh my so, God. Yes, we should do it. We yeah. should do a little side convo or listen to spilling chai, which is your podcast or do like an episode <laughs> on that. Yes, but there is, it's, it's a quick cup of chai on a, a, cause I just had to write about this woman. I was just like, yeah. Are you crazy? like, but how damaging that could have been for, for other people. And also, um, how rude it is still in our culture. Yes. Um, it to is. speak up or call that out or say that don't speak to me like that, which is yes. exactly what I said because she said in, in, in my home in front of my daughters, yeah. my oh young my daughters gosh. and my husband. Yeah. She's so lucky my husband was there that day, by the way. My husband is like a super, he's like Buddha. <laughs> he's oh. like the super chill, calm guy, like just totally prevented a first degree murder charge. Because I was <laughs> just going to kill her. I was just like, what the fuck? You cannot do that. So oh, and that is that's a whole other track. episode. Yes, totally, totally, totally. But it's interesting, (laughs) right? Because your book really centers the gaslighting that happens around our bodies and our pain and our health. But as you and I were chatting earlier, like the gaslighting goes far beyond that, right? Like you mentioned, you're like, when women are raped, they feel like they won't be believed. When there's sexual harassment in the workplace, women feel like they won't be believed or like people will believe them, but try to make excuses for the for the man or or the perpetrator, I will say, because um, men can obviously experience sexual harassment as well. And so this gaslighting um, that happens in the healthcare system is so systemic that like you and I both, you know, have experienced, you start wondering whether you are actually feeling pain. Yeah. You start questioning yourself, but I think that, and this is with all women, I think it's much worse for women of color. And most of the time we hear white women's stories Mm -hmm. uh, for many reasons. America is a super racist country. Everything is white centric the image of motherhood and women's yes. health in America is very white. Yes. Uh, but we really do have a double whammy because at one point I was like, is this guy racist or is he sexist? Or like, I'm at, you know? Yeah. And such, and when, when I talk about like male allyship, it's so important because our partners, even if it's not a man, you know, whoever your partner mm-hmm. might be, um, I mean, they're often our most important witnesses. Like so many times when I was doubting, I started doubting my story. I was like, maybe it wasn't that bad. Even after yes. writing this book, yeah. even after writing this book, I said this actually on Morning Joe, Tommy Kobersinski, that I'm still <laughs> processing, you know, the trauma of my experience. That 
that those words actually just fell out of my mouth when I started speaking to her because I was like, was it really this bad? Did it really happen? And then yeah. my husband's always like, yes. And you were shaking. And then this, and then they had a new doctor come in. Like he remembers so many yes. uh, details. So, um, so it's, it's so, it's so important. It you know? is. Men have a really important role. I feel like they, they do. spoke up more for us on so many things. They do. And like very That's random right. side thing. Abby actually, um, both times I was giving birth, took notes on his phone, which like I didn't even know wow. at the time, but That's like so just smart. little timestamps. And, and he did it as a cute thing. So like, we could look back and be like, oh, and then at this time, this, this, this. But it actually turned into like validation of what yeah. I was feeling. And I needed that because you're right. I just I wasn't believing myself. And, you know, last time we talked you said that you had a lot of trouble um, getting the book out there because you wanted to have the words sexism and racism in the title. So they're in the subtitle, right? The pain gap, yeah. how sexism and racism um, in healthcare kills women. Yeah. Just let's just pause on that for a second. And if just share some of the like truly staggering hair raising data around the racism and the sexism in the healthcare industry? Well, it's just crazy. First of all, I feel like pre-COVID, it's it's even now, I think mm -hmm. white people don't, Americans don't like to talk about race, white Americans specifically. Yes. And we're mm -hmm. seeing that this book banning, we're seeing it in so many ways. So it was really, um, somebody told me that if I wrote this book before COVID, I probably couldn't have gotten it published with the word racism in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really started becoming that after COVID that we could see because it a COVID the pandemic exposed it did it exposed everybody a lot. Okay? yes like you know not only how racist the the American healthcare system is but the legal system police brutality mm -hmm. I mean what the healthcare system I mean yeah. a lot of people don't know outside of America that if you don't have insurance yes and you go to a hospital they will let you they will not treat you they would rather mm -hmm. just have you leave and die yes um, than treat you so people really. I mean, I have this conversation with Bangladeshi relatives all the time. They're like, yes, I'm the that, that because they have Medicaid. I'm like, no, if a homeless person goes and absolutely has nothing, they will not treat you. And I think um, that really shocked the world because that was exposed to the world. But America yeah. got really mm -hmm. hit. I mean, everybody got hit hard by COVID. But I think people have never seen America brought down to their knees like that. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, my God, even talking about the early days of COVID, you know, when we were like, washing our groceries and our mail. Yeah. I mean, it's just so the whole thing yeah. was so traumatic. Um, but I want to say two things about the racism. First mm -hmm. of all, um, I, I feel like, like all other systems in America, the system is working how it was intended. Yes, it was. Okay? I mean, mm -hmm. It was, you know, it's supposed to value white lives more it's supposed to, you know, the, the expert and the authoritative voice is always supposed to be a white man. I mean, I never knew growing up. I, first of all, I was taught never to question the doctor. I never knew you could question a white man. And look at me now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a whole book about how to do it. <laughs> but seriously, like, I can't believe that because you just yeah. never question the doctor. And as a woman of color, like, oh, my God, questioning a white man um, was just something I'd never seen growing up or I didn't even think was possible mm -hmm. uh, but it is and please keep doing it I encourage everybody to do it yes. um, the issue now is is uh, America's changing right mm -hmm. America's changing and these voices are voices two brown women on a podcast each have their own podcast I mean I don't 
wouldn't have even happened in the 90s. No. I mean, um, even when I started doing like uh, when I used to be on TV regularly, I mean, yeah, that was something. But when I first came to the States, I didn't know that you could be a person of color and just go on the news and mm-hmm. say your opinion. Because you know, we associate expert everything with whiteness. Yes, we do. Medical mi- Middle East experts. Yes. Our white security guys. Why don't we ever get somebody from the Middle East? Maybe speaks Arabic or is from yeah. the region and has yes. studied the region. And is yes. so, you know, so we still do it. It's oh, really the, the whole TV commentator world, a, a whole other thing. Um, but the other interesting thing is it's that it's not just racist. It's mm-hmm. really racist. And the the disparities are always the largest between black people and white people. And I always say when something is bad for white women in America, it's kind of, it's, it's bad for women of color. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bad for broad, brown women, but it's the worst, like always the worst for black women. Yeah. And the reason I always come back to maternal mortality and maternal health is not because I almost died giving birth in the richest democracy in the world, mm-hmm. uh, but it's because maternal mortality numbers tell us a lot. They don't just tell us, you know, the number of women dying in childbirth. Obviously it tells us that, mm-hmm. but it also tells us how well a country's healthcare system is functioning. Yes. It tells us the overall position of women in society, because in the year 2023, not a single woman should be dying, giving birth. Women have been giving, especially in America. Yeah. We have all, all the expertise, all the knowledge. We know exactly when to, when to intervene. And by the way, yeah. C-sections are a very important uh, intervention, you know, when, when there's any threat of a, obstruction in labor, right? When mm-hmm. fitchula, you know, when you have like a massive tear, that's a whole other thing. It's like a hundred dollar surgery, uh, but it's a big problem in developing countries when they mm-hmm. can't get access to mm-hmm. obviously the uh, C-sections they need. But um so my my point is, is that America going backwards on this tells us a lot. And it's true. Yes. Our healthcare system isn't functioning. Yeah. And if I, you, you hear the statistic like this, but oh my God, if I tell every time it drives me crazy, you'll hear that black women are three to four times more likely to die giving birth in America than their white counterparts. But I always tell my colleagues and my my allies that we should stress that that is 243% higher. Wow. More likely to die than your white counterpart. So even if you want to be in denial about race or you don't want to talk about race or you are a racist, Mm -hmm. you have to ask what is happening here? What that is a massive disparity. Yeah. That's almost 200. Yeah. That's over 240%. Wow. Wow. And that's, and that's just with, uh, uh, the data that we have and pre COVID, we used to say really racist things, not people of color, but I mean, generally right i mean mm-hmm. people used to say really racist things like this was um uh black women are welfare moms or it's because uh black people are less educated you know the blame was always yeah. on black people for yes yes this, this, for everything mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. but um the interesting thing is is that we have a study now that says a college educated black woman Mm-hmm. Uh, who has a um, college degree or higher is five times more likely to die giving birth in America than her white counterpart with a high, high school degree. You know, wow. two months ago, the New York Times had a massive feature. Mm-hmm. Even wealth, yes. even wealth doesn't protect yes, exactly. black people from, I mean, I mean, Serena Williams, Beyonce, Serena Williams did so much by sharing her story mm-hmm. because it re- it showed everything. It showed the pain gap, the credibility gap, the yes, race gap, everything. Because here is one of the world's most famous and best athletes. This woman has paid millions of dollars to know her body. She was saying something was wrong. 
Uh, the nurses told her that she was confused because of the pain medication. Yeah. At the time she got the CT scan, they found massive clots in her lungs. Uh, she had coughed so much. Her C-section stitches had come undone. She was in the hospital for six weeks. I mean, this Ooh. is Serena Williams and please don't tell her she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yes. Um. So, so the disparities are massive and I just feel like, I and mean, people always say to me, my, my crit, crit, critics and trolls are always like, well, I have to make everything about race. We always have to talk about race. Why is everything racist? Because it is yeah. really in America. Yes. Racism <laughs> in America is a public health crisis. Yes. It is literally, literally a public health crisis. And the yeah. other part about that, though, is that America is also a global powerhouse. Yes. Right? Like, the, wait, just for one second, because this is sort of a, a side note, but I want to talk about the global gag rule and what you call out in, in your book. Because one of the biggest things to me is like, you say, as Americans, we have a responsibility to educate ourselves about how U.S. foreign policy impacts women and girls globally, because what happens here matters for women's rights around the world. And so not only, I think, do both of us feel the responsibility and the pressure of like telling our stories so, you know, our circles hear it. But if if we don't talk about this stuff more every woman in the world is going to suffer. Oh yeah. If we don't bring more awareness and like start reading books like yours in, in schools. Americans are oblivious to it. Yes. Most Americans are completely oblivious to not only the power of us foreign policy, but that it even exists. Well, they see it from the other side. They see it as like, Americans um, intervening, intervening for democracy. Yes. It's beneficial. Yeah. But it also, it also feeds. (laughs) Yeah. Iraq, Iraq, (laughs) Iran still Still, to this day, to this day, Um, not even the respect of learning the fucking name. (laughs) I know, but they, they see it as a white savior. They it's to them. It's a white savior thing, right? Like they're like, no, we are coming in and fixing. Yeah. But then they're not understanding how the dark side of that mm. is things like this global gag rule. Well, it's 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 a soft arm of U.S. foreign policy. I mean, everything is in billion dollar arms deals with uh, Saudi Arabia. I mean, and, and America has really, you know, the U.S. State Department has some great programs. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, I yes. mean, and they have clean water. Mm-hmm. They have uh, democracy, good governance, press freedom. I mean, the irony of my work now, I feel like one of the biggest ironies is that America played such a huge role in slashing. Bangladesh used to be like the face of maternal health crisis maternal Mm -hmm. death and you know now we're like one of the biggest development stars i think we're like one of the few countries that is that achieved the sustainable development goals of the un number five Mm -hmm. which is reducing maternal mortality um but also they played such a big role in us slashing our rates of maternal death by 40 percent wow well now america is the most dangerous rich country Mm -hmm. developed country uh to give uh birth in so a lot of people don't know this, but I, I had this Bangladeshi woman, actually. She said, it. I, this is like one of the best ways to encapsulate this so mm-hmm. I don't talk forever. But she told me, and she wasn't an auntie. She wasn't trying to be a, a you know, <laughs> a mean person about it. She said, that's really great that you wrote a book in America about women's health, but how does that impact us? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you asked. That's such an important question. You're like, let me tell you. Let me tell you, actually. (laughs) And it's not just the global gag rule, which I will explain for your audience. Mm -hmm. 
as well. But um, people don't understand that uh, America can, uh, if, if women in America don't get it right, the rest of the world is fucked. I mean, I really don't know how else to say it about our health, about everything. And it's not just because um, of poor countries don't have access to X, Y, Z. It's because America can import a lot of things that wouldn't be legal in America, uh, a lot of policies through their foreign policy. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, um, American domestic abortion politics has really spilled out into the international yes. arena. And in, and the best way really to, the best example of it is the Mexico City policy, which is, you know, advocates have called the global gag rule because you're literally not allowed to say the word abortion to somebody who comes into your clinic or you will lose your American. These are for overseas NGOs and organizations. So they're not even in America. You will lose your American financial and technical assistance. And this is really important because this is more than just uh, your funding. This is like sonogram machines and uh, computers. And it's such a partisan football in Capitol Hill. I mean, in Washington, because the first order of the day, and it started under the Reagan administration, and the first things they'll do is sign the uh, global gag rule either into effect, and then a Democratic uh, president will come and repeal it. So this has been going on, like literally ping pong uh, with women's lives um, around the world. And in a a lot of countries, I mean, I don't like to say Bangladesh is still like developing, but in a lot of rural parts of these countries, you know, American funded clinics, sometimes it's the only place you have to go. And do you know how much it creates so much confusion? It's kind of like what we're seeing now. Like, I feel like what's happening with abortion now that we've lost Roe, we have lost Roe. They told us, right, that that would never happen. (laughs) They told activists that and women's rights activists and feminists and women's health advocates that for decades and it happened. But now we're seeing the gaslighting, you know, women are being so dramatic. We're never going to lose um, you know, our constitutional right to abortion in America. But that's kind of like what happened like now because the doctors can get in so much trouble, right? Mm-hmm. They just don't want to be involved. So a lot of clinics do that. Like it doesn't matter if there's a Democrat or a Republican in office. A lot of times the organizations and the clinics are terrified. They'd rather just not do it. But the fact that you cannot utter the word abortion, like I can't even tell you, you know, and because I can't give you an abortion. This is life saving. This would be life saving for you. You're 14. You've been raped or oh what have you. Um, or, or you're in a child marriage. And there's this clinic across the street. Literally, that there was the story of this girl in my book with clinics right across the street because they would really lose your funding. So that it would be unconstitutional institutional in America to, yeah. to say to someone that you can't utter a word abortion. But mm-hmm. we've been implementing that overseas for decades and we continue to. In fact, of course, under Trump, it was expanded larger than ever to include. And, and it matters because America is also one of the largest funders of global health in the yeah. world. People don't know this. And the largest uh, we buy the most condoms. Um, so yeah, we're not just like, you know, this tiny bitchy country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were like really powerful, like shit that happens on uh, that literally white laws that are made on Capitol Hill by mostly old white men affect the health and rights of women yeah. around the world. That, I mean, that is a statement that is true every word. And even when, like abortion is legal in, in Bangladesh, we actually don't even have this issue like nationally, but yeah. it overrides like sovereign nations laws, you know, because wow. then it becomes about that individual uh, clinic. Yeah. Um. Anyhow. So, yeah. So there's, there's knowledge gaps. There's access gaps. 
there's gaps when it comes to how people are treated based on their race, obviously based on their sex. And then there are gender gaps. Yeah. And the gender roles also play a huge role in this, right? So if we step slightly outside of the healthcare system and expand more to like the other systems in the United States and how women did fare throughout the pandemic, you know, it the numbers there are staggering as well. How many women yeah. left the workforce? How many women were forced out of the workforce? Whether the women would ever come back to the workforce? And just the amount of caretaking for others that was put on the backs of women. And not just their own children, because people will, people will say, well, you chose to have kids, which yeah. people say anytime any woman utters a complaint about motherhood, which Anything. is yeah. part of this oppression that we've been dealing with for generations, but also like aging parents, you know, all of the caretaking fell onto the woman. And I'm taking, sorry, I'm taking notes as you write, as you speak, because yes. Yes. Like this is all connected. Ugh. This is all connected. And but then, is, yeah. Oh no, please. I want to hear what you're going to say. It's it's just so, I think what COVID exposed is that it, it's so expected of women, the yes. caretaking yes. and free unpaid women's unpaid labor. There's a quote in my book. I didn't write it, which I mm -hmm. wish I did, but it was one of the first kind of um, pieces, feminist pieces that came out mm -hmm. about COVID and women. Mm -hmm. And it said that the pandemic was going to essentially just fuck over women and set yeah. back women's rights. Yeah. And one of the biggest things was this, that, that America relies on the unpaid labor of women. Yeah. Okay. To, yeah. to run because we don't have childcare. I know. And that's what, and in the, and in the book, when this happened to me and I told my husband, I was going to leave him and I have a great husband. Okay. He's more, he's too hands-on. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. Like I just didn't, you know, I love my dad and he's amazing, but I just did not grow up with this father who's like, yeah present and involved and in all this stuff because my dad was in politics and always, mm -hmm. always, always working. But um, it, it was just so crazy because we had this like little home office in our old house before we moved. So we moved during COVID. Um, uh, but he, it immediately became his. And yeah. all of a sudden I, I was a housewife. I, I, and I'm not degrading it, but I, I never wanted to be one. I was cooking. I was cleaning. I was a teacher. Yeah. I mean, 24 seven childcare. And my husband would kind of just go into the home office at like 8 AM and I wouldn't see him until five. And I had this book I was going to write. And I, and one day I just lost it. I said, I am not this woman. And I, and I said it to myself, I said, how did such a privileged, highly educated woman who has so many goals? Okay. I mean, I have like, I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> My sister's a Capricorn. I, just, I, I know just, I'm well. very goal oriented. Yeah. Very goal, goal oriented, very ambitious. Always. What is my next thing? And I'm like, I have to write a book. Like I am not this woman. I will leave you. And he was like, well, why didn't you just ask? And I'm like, well, why don't you just see what I'm doing at, inside yes. the house? Like my husband is in, is in the tech space, but my older daughter, I became her tech support for a virtual school. I don't know how this happened. It's like the kids also only come to you. The yes. kids are in on it. Too. Yes, the kids do come to you. And, <laughs> and, you know, they say maternal instinct and, you know, a lot of stuff has been done to kind of 
not not debunk it on a level where it's like, no, a mother does not have intuition and instinct about her children, but we cannot use that against the woman to say, yeah. well, that's why your kid comes to you. And in your book, you know, and I can't remember if this was something you said or somebody else said, but it doesn't matter because it was a, it was just this simple statement that cut through everything for me, which was just the burden of being a female yeah. and how, you know, COVID did expose that the caretaking, the home, all of these things still fall on our shoulders, even though women are also now highly educated in the workforce. Sometimes they're the breadwinners. And so to be able to carry both of those loads, our kids, our families, our aging parents, our work, the other all of the other shit that goes into running a house yeah but it it disconnects us so far from ourselves so my thesis is that in the healthcare system with our own bodies and our own health we are we are made to not trust what we feel we are made to believe people on the outside with you know knowledge on on a scientific level know more about what we are experiencing than we are. And so we are we are gaslit in that way and we disconnect from ourselves slowly and a little bit. Then COVID exposed all of these things. All of a sudden we're taking care of everyone. Everyone. Except ourselves. Again, we're disconnecting from ourselves again. And then we're dealing with this mental health crisis. You know, like 74% of moms feel worse after the pandemic. Women are more likely to experience the psychological d- distress post-pandemic. Can I tell you, every time I see one of those studies, I just want to rip my hair out and say, no, no fucking shit. And why oh. are we surprised? It was traumatic. In the in the summer of 2020, 875,000 women left the workforce. Mm-hmm. And you know why they left? It was either working at, it was either taking care of your kids or you have to work. You can't do both. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's almost, a, you know, I feel like that number is really probably underreported too. I mean, a yeah. million women leaving the workforce, what the fuck is happening? We, yeah. we, America uses that and the, and the United Nations and everybody has an indicator of your development, the number of women that are in your workforce and we're literally oh, yeah. not being able to do it. Yeah. Exactly. So it's absolutely, it, it totally set America back. And of course it's depressing. Yeah. And the, and the, the interesting thing about the caretaking that you said, Amika, because mm-hmm. how much of it, okay. When we, when you have the privilege of planning your pregnancies and you know, a certain amount of caretaking is going to be happening, you're yeah. going to become a new mother, but so much of caretaking responsibility just fall on you. Oh, yeah. I mean, women become the healthcare managers of their family. I mean, mm-hmm. now my parents are aging and just in the last like five years, I have become I mean, I'm totally managing my parents' healthcare, yeah. um, which is really, really good because I'm bringing them to the States. I mean, they're getting the best care and da da um, But I, I would never have imagined this growing up. And it just falls on your lap. It does. And it falls on the women's lap. Even, yeah. even when I look at my friends and their siblings, the brother, where are the brothers? Where are you guys' brothers, man, in this stuff, right? It's mm-hmm. always the sister. It's always the whatever. It's always the woman in the house. Yeah. So it's such a huge. So while we're taking care of everyone, no one gives a shit about women's health, yeah, mental health or physical health, which is why I think it's, it's so important for us to also shift. Once again, all of this is dreary and depressing and heavy stuff, but it's solvable. Like a, a big thing I ask 
for in my book is a cultural shift. Mm -hmm. We always start by not believing women. Yeah. Okay. We always That's start the default. There. That's the default. Yeah. If we just start by a woman coming in and saying, Hey, there's, I'm getting these migraines. I've had them for like eight months. I have them every single day. It's not going away. And so I mean, like, well, maybe you're stressed or maybe you're imagining it. Fucking give her a CT scan. Yeah. Or give her whatever she needs. This what actually this was in uh, just a couple of months ago. It's a huge piece in the Washington Post about a woman actually complaining about her migraines. Mm -hmm. Everyone telling her it was all in her head. And then they found a tumor the size of a volleyball. Every time oh. I say that, people are like, it can't be true. I'm like, look the article up in her brain. So like imagine. So the cultural uh, shift of, of believing women, but also uh, of, of I mean, uh not looking at women's health as just a women's health issue. Yeah. It's a national issue. It's a, it's a male issue. It's everyone's issue. Mm -hmm. And everybody needs to invest in it because we're seeing what happens when people don't invest in it. And then if, if we don't have enough male allies with us advocating for, for it, um, it's looked at as a joke. It's looked at as, as a pink pussy movement or whatever. And yeah. the thing in America, which is really great that doesn't exist really in many other countries is is how accessible the democracy here is yeah okay the fact that this bangladeshi girl is like i'm mean, like you can lobby on capitol hill you know you should see the groups who are there every single day you know what whatever causes they're advancing you know piano costs or this cause mm -hmm. look at the uh the anti-choice lobby is massive. So I really encourage, and you know, one of my biggest mentors, Ellie Smeal, always said that cultural change in America always starts from politics, political change. So you yeah. really like, people are like, oh, how can we close the pain gap? So overwhelming. I'm not telling you to solve women's health crisis overnight, but everybody can do something. You can yeah. organize in your community. You can lobby every day if you want, or every week in Washington, you can call your reps. I mean, just that, that's not something you yeah. can say in Bangladesh. We'll be yeah. like, what? We've had the same leadership. For like, look what's happening in Pakistan now. I'm oh, not yeah. going to tell a Pakistani to go lobby their government. Yeah. Uh, we also have a parliamentary system. So it's mm -hmm. a little different. But the point is, is that it's very accessible. It's not impossible in America. Yeah. And I think yeah. women, I think we're seeing it. I think women are so freaking pissed with Rogan. Yes. Also, yes. we have to think beyond Roe for, uh, you know, we are beyond our uteruses. When I say knowledge gap, uh, women and heart disease, leading oh, yeah. killer of women in America, but we still think of it as a very male disease. Yeah, yeah. So, and even there. even depression. Yeah, like the, it's number one on the list of most pressing women's health issues. Like, you know, and all of these things feel so interconnected to me, right? Like, okay, going back for one second. So we're told not to trust our bodies and our health, and we slowly distance ourselves from our inner knowing about our bodies and our health. Then we're taking care of everyone else. We have zero fucking time for anything, like for taking a shower, let yes. alone spending time like processing things and just turning back to ourselves. And then we get depressed, right? Yes. And depression is also known to erode people's trust in themselves, make you question your own perception. So, you know, while the whole country and potentially the world is discrediting us and not believing us, we are also not fully believing ourselves yeah, and each other. And so this is where like, there is so much um, toxicity and shaming and silencing even happening among women. You know, like we talk yes. about the aunties who are like, 
don't talk about that or being told like, oh, you know, like after after you get an okay from your OB, you have to go have sex with your husband because like they (laughs) they'll expect it and they'll they have needs. Yeah, they have needs. (laughs) I think, you know, to your point, we are waking up to the systemic side of things and the healthcare side of things. We also need to have a mass realization about how we need to wake up to our intuitions again and wake up Mm. to believing ourselves and each other as women. Yeah. Okay. This is so, um, this is so fucked up, but somebody sexually assaulted me in college and it, and I brushed it under the rug to the point that this person was invited to my wedding. Like, I think that happens a lot. I know. And I think back in the South Asian community, what was I thinking? And I blamed myself and I was like, you're making a big deal out of it. You're making a big deal out of it. I'm so sorry. And it's, it's horrific. We it's, It's I'm so sorry that that happened to you. But can I tell you, I I have seen this. I have seen this. There's a, there's a scene in Monsoon Wedding about it. Oh my God. Uh, her, predi- her predator yeah. is like, you know. Um, still whatever. in her life. Still in her life, and- in the family. Shame and shorum, you know. Shorum. Oh, shorum, yes. Like that, I want to write about that. I mean, someone Rushdie did it, but you know, I mean, oh, that yeah. entire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in our, in our culture, oh, God, that's another thing. Oh my goodness. I mean. We, yeah, you know, I often layers think about layers. just layers and layers, but I often think about, you know, and my mom is such a huge feminist. She's a member of parliament. She's my hero. But I think about growing up, my four sisters and I, we grew up around so many predators. There were predators everywhere. I don't really blame my parents. I don't think they knew what the heck was going on, but I mean, oh my God, I would yeah. never let some of those people around my kids like ever. I, but I don't even think they had a choice because I can't imagine how my mom was raised. You know, I, I mean, know, truly. she has relatives who were, yeah, she had relatives who were raped, you know, in her home um, by Pakistani military soldiers that we never talk about it. And you know, I mean, somebody was actually telling me, was it you that South Asians are so traumatized just from partition and our, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the end of the British rule that and these wars, the liberation war, the uh, Pakistan Bangladesh war, India's independence war, that we are all, that they have been traumatized just in the silence because we yeah. always respond with don't yes. talk about it. Yes. Don't always. talk about it. Always. And don't always. let anybody find out about it. Yeah. And if you do, you're weak, you're, you're sensitive, the, you're yeah. making a fuss. And, you know, this is shame on the family. Yes, yes. And that is the pattern we are also in in America. Like, you know, we are very aware of it in, in South Asian culture because we've been talking about it. That's the only reason any of this is changing because we're all talking about it. But even in America, we're still using words and and like psychological tricks that shame the victim, not the abuser. Oh, totally. And that to me is again, like that's where this intuition disconnect comes from. And I, you know, I think back to when I was a little girl, like little, little girl, and I was so intuitive, like, you know, like I remember a, a friend's grandmother passed away and that whole night I couldn't sleep and I told my father I was like something bad's gonna happen something bad's gonna happen and he was like 
what is wrong with you, child? Yeah, like you're crazy. You're like being, you probably had crazy. a bad dream, go to sleep. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. And I've watched myself discredit my intuition at so many moments in my life. Yeah. And now I've, I, I feel like I've lost all access to it. No, you and haven't. I know. No. And you were saying you feel like you've kind of redeemed it in your forties. You're like, oh, yeah. I feel it. I feel it. And I'm like, I don't feel it. And it's sad and scary because that's no, don't say that to yourself. Force. Don't say that to yourself so, uh, too many times. First of mm -hmm. all, I think that women's intuition needs a rebranding because it's become like this. What's that movie with Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock, like Practical Magic? Oh, practical. Yeah, it's not you know? this hippy dippy we, new we age need, thing. We need, yeah, we need to like rebrand it in a way of this is like a very I don't know. It's like women's sixth power or this. Um, we need to stop calling it like. Um, I really, I really, really think it needs a rebrand, you know, like I women's know. intuition or a mother knows best or just yes. that's a feeling yes. because then people think you're freaking crazy or they think it's a joke. Just be like, I know it. I can feel it. Yeah. Another th and don't tell yourself that because if you I knew know, that so young, if you knew that so young and I bet all you have to do is, I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you really, really just meditate on that thought daily, I mean, you will, you're just, you just got disconnected from it. It didn't go yeah. away. Yeah. But that's the thing, right? is we have been forced into a disconnect. Like, yeah. and it's a power thing. And okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to go it's off a total, the deep end. It's a, I'm it's going a total off, power thing. I'm going off it's the a deep total, end. It's a but total like, power thing. This is strategic. It is strategic to disconnect women from their power. It is strategic oh, yeah. to tell women they're full of shit and make them doubt themselves because there is, there is, we have a lot of power. Yeah. Well, you know what I've also learned? I mean, the, <laughs> the you're going to go off the deep end. Let me go off the deep end. <laughs> Let's do it. We'll dive the, in together. The, the patriarchy is fucking real. And why would anybody want to give up power? Oh, yeah. Uh, anybody. Nobody wants yeah. to give it up. And it's not like yeah. men are bad. Um, I had such a good friend in college who was Bangladeshi. I always think back to this. And then I have a story that happened the other night that I was like, oh my God, I can't believe yes. this. Yes. In my house, but uh, I had such a good Bangladeshi friend at UVA. He's one of, you know, he was also an international student. He was like really feminist, and he went to all the feminist stuff with me, and just thought it was awesome. And then I went home one summer for, for whatever summer break, mm -hmm. things that you have when you're a student. Um, and um, his his younger sister had become friends with my niece, and they had to do a, a project for school. So I said, why don't they do um, it on women's rights? And yeah. this like really feminist project. And they did. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I was talking to her, I was like, you know, your brother's a really big feminist, you know, X, Y, Z. We do all this stuff together. Yeah. And she was like, oh, my God. Wow. And he called me later and he was really upset. He actually came to see me. And he said and, it, and he wasn't like mean or violent about it. He was yeah. it was so matter of fact, I, I'm still shocked. Mm -hmm. He told me that now he's not in the States anymore. And he has a lot of advantages as the eldest son in his family, and he likes it. And he doesn't want his sister to think of him as a feminist. And he told me this to my face. And I think we were like 20, 21. Um, and I'll never forget it because what an insight. Mm. He's like, I like wow. it. Wow. Like, that is you know? the most salient example of this I have heard in a long time. And then the other night we had some new friends over 
and he was one of those white guys mm-hmm. i say new friends um you know whatever when your parents you know you're always yeah of course and um he was one of those where he was talking about race. He was, it was like having Tucker at my table, basically. Oh but he my. was like, he was like undercover. But after, uh, you know, th- at the end of the night, you know what he said? He said, well, I always told, I always tell me and my college roommates, like, there's no reason we shouldn't be running the world. Like, we don't want to be overtaken by like people of color in this country. And basically, it, like my house become like a one person mob rally. And I was like, you're like, do you know where you are right now? And that's exactly my husband was like, oh, my God, and she's good on this shit. But I didn't even bother. I was just like, can't ever hang out with him because that's who he really is. It, and it came out after he had had a bit to drink. So anyway, that, that's another racist thing, right? Because yeah. it's like, um, I mean, it's so interesting when people when white, it's just white, like why white people don't want to, they like it. It's like wait, even white people who are like, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. And there are a lot of great white people. I'm not saying all white people suck. Yeah. But um, that. If you ask them, would you be black in this country? There's studies and white people will say no. Or would you trade your place as a white person to be a minority in this country? And the majority of white people will say no. Why? Why? Because they know that it sucks, even if they can't articulate it. They know that it's better. Yeah, they and know that they're in a in a position of relative power and white privilege. privilege. I yeah. mean, and people hate to hear that. I mean, my God, my, you know, well, I got into a really bad fight during the pandemic with my closest college roommates, my closest friends. Because I said, well, you guys have white privilege. And they were, one of them said, but how can you say that? And you say, you are one of the most privileged people we know. And I'm like, I'm not talking about my political heritage family in, in Bangladesh. Of course, I've had privileges. We have a really high um, um, lit- uh, uh, literacy rate in Bangladesh. Really, really low, I mean. And I got to go to UVA. You can see right there. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm talking about daily privilege. Mm. Like that doctor who didn't believe me after I was in labor for 30, over 30 hours at 104 fever, this, this, Mm. you know, my labor's not progressing. They said my epidural was in, it was, I had never been hooked up in the first place. Nobody had believed me when I was saying I was in pain. And then it's an emergency C-section time. And I'm brought into the operating theater on a stretcher and he wants me to get onto the table on my own. He didn't believe that I couldn't do it. He didn't believe that I was really in pain. He didn't believe my pain at that moment, after everything, like this is an emergency C-section time. I am shaking. And that doctor, I think about him every fucking day. I should have sued the fuck out of him. I was so polite to him. You have no idea. I was still trying to be like, nice, there's a brown girl. Um, I, I so, fully, fully understand what you're saying. You know, I, I'm so angry about that. Yes. But I do think like things like women's anger, women's intuition, all this shit we've been told because I think uh, men do not want to. Why would they want? I think a lot. I think the world will be saved if we all became matriarchal societies. I really do. I know women that? can be bitches, but it's true. <laughs> women. Oh, wait, women. What's it called? Woman King. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, Davis. have you read or seen The Power? No, I haven't. One. And I'm going to send you a book. Have you read Women Who Run With the Wolves? No, I haven't read it, but I have been recommended. Send it to me. I think that maybe, oh, I'll get it myself. I'll no, get it I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to see, I'm looking at your face. Tell me about it. Was it just life-changing? It is about women connecting with like the primal aspect of their spirit. Mm -hmm. anger grief like 
manic love, like the sort of yeah. love you feel for your child, um, yeah. intuition, sensuality, yeah, all of these things that we have been disconnected from. Well, Ooh, repressed, taught chills. to be repressed. Yeah, no, but taught, told by taught by told. religions, even organized religion, right? Holy oh my crap. gosh, yes. In Hinduism, you can't go to a temple if you have your period. You can't pray in Islam on your, on your period. And it's and like, is it the most natural thing ever? <laughs> it's like you were born of this. Yeah. <laughs> but again, like, you know, and Anusha, you and I were saying that there there's a positive side to this, right? Yes, there it is, is there solvable is. aspects of this. And part of it is these conversations, these conversations. And I also, can I say, I have so much faith, like I'm 43, but I have so much faith in like the next generation of women. I really just think they're just going to kick it over. I mean, I think yeah. about that doctor, but my five-year-old, she would have kicked his ass like Kung Fu style for, yes. probably with the baby between <laughs> her legs, you know? So I have so much faith in like the next yeah. generation of women. I even, even, not only just like my daughter. So I feel like women are yeah. only getting fucking like smarter stronger and more informed yeah, and yeah. more organized look how we like connect uh um online how it's amazing and you know we are dismissed as like drunk book clubs but how women mobilize um not only what's it called um what's that word mobilize organize but also network Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's so dismissed, right? But when men are networking, it's so important. And yeah. fans, they need to go to wherever they go. What's that place called? Uh, Davos to oh, do yeah. it. They get a whole freaking ski resort in like the richest, place, most expensive city in the yeah. world. Davos, and the golf courses. The golf courses. Look at all these spaces that they dominate. So I understand once you're used to it, why would you want to give more? It's just like, why would you want to give more of your cake? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't work like that. It can't. And I really think that, I mean, they kept us, look how long we were kept uneducated. It was like women and slaves, right? Yeah. Couldn't vote, couldn't read, weren't allowed to go to school, UVA. I mean, that's crazy. You couldn't go up until the late 1960s. So that's a lot. So I think they've always known. Actually, I have a theory that um, early on, men got scared that women could bleed. Mm -hmm. And still function like, you know, usually if you're bleeding like that, I mean, imagine like pre-science, if you don't know what, like what happened in like Brooke Shields and Blue Lagoon, that terrible sex is very, very dangerous uh, movie, but um, she didn't understand, you know, know what it was. So imagine like back in the day when they had like no science behind it, they probably... They probably thought they probably scared the shit out of them. What a power. Because most people, if you're bleeding like that, you're either dying or something is wrong. But we are actually what what, that that is a power where we can have babies then. You know, it's so funny. Well, every it's probably not right. But you know what? Whatever. Like every woman jokes that men are babies when they're sick. Um, It's true. (laughs) It's just a joke. We all say it, but it's true. The man flu. (laughs) And it's so funny, like. I have extremely painful periods and you would never fucking know. Mm-hmm. Oh, like God. I am carrying on with my life. I'm like picking up both my kids. I'm doing everything with a constant, like very well, painful is... cramp in yeah. my abdomen, a but headache this is what really and a bad a... mood. <laughs> 
Well, this is what really upsets me, though. And this is like the whole thing. You have to read Pain and Prejudice by Gabrielle Jackson. But it's like, I, I always say this. I'm like, by the time, because we're not believed in the ER, we're not believed at the doctor's office. But can I tell you, by the time a woman goes to the ER or goes to the doctor's office, she Shit has been real. in pain. Yeah, exactly. For so long months. And man, can I also tell you in America, women don't have time because we're doing it all. Yeah. Pick up, drop off, carpool, uh, cooking, cleaning, make your house. Teachers appreciate Instagram parties. All, you know what is so great about like the cultural night we have, even though I'm like, oh, God, it's becoming too big. Uh, my husband is like a, one of two dads in it. All the other moms. Yeah. I did have a moment today where I was like, oh, my God, they probably think I'm such a bad mom. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm mom shaming myself. No. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, can. but I can't do crap like that. And, you know, his company's kind of like handling it all. So anyway, yeah. it's so funny. But even I was kind of like complex. So I'm like, oh, no, but it was all fucking women. And, you know, they're like lawyers on the side. One of the moms just made like the top 100 power attorney list. She was like on the cover of this magazine. Here she is like making baklava. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so it's crazy. I also think it's not it's I mean, America has a problem. I think is what we're finally seeing. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. we're going backwards in health. We're going backwards in all of this stuff. We're going backwards in the women's rights movement. Yeah. Like yeah. somebody, I saw an Instagram meme the other day that was like, I thought I was, you know, severely depressed, but I just had to leave America. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think mean, about it all the time. I think about it all the time. And now like other countries, you know how usually Americans would get warnings. Don't go to Bangladesh. You might get cholera or diarrhea. And now yeah. other countries are giving warnings about gun violence in, in America. And I always say to my husband, like, it's just a matter of time before we have to leave, because that's a public health crisis oh, that I think oh. the NRA has blocked even research into. Like, I don't even think we're allowed to research it, but um, they have they have it's it's obvious. So I think it has been declared yeah. or labeled that um, already. But yeah, look at that. Well, and and once again, since moms, right? Once oh, again, yeah. it's women. Moms, moms demand, demand action. Yeah. Fucking organizing. I mean, Chen Watts was on my um on my podcast, but she basically made the NRA go bankrupt. Yeah. Of course, there's larger problems in, in Capitol Hill and white people and their guns. But, you know, I mean, if black and brown people picked up all these guns tomorrow, you know, we'd have gun, gun control, right? Oh so again, gosh. white, I mean, there, there is a profile of the, of the mass shooter and 98% of the time they're white guys. Gosh. You know, anyhow. Is it fun talking to me? But I am still very, very hopeful. That's another thing I am. That's solvable. Why aren't we doing anything on guns? I think America has made a choice, actually. Uh, why aren't we doing more on abortion? Like, we do have a really, really conservative and religious, well, white extremism, but also religiously extremist uh, population of America, which, uh, Amer you know, they're they're not in New York and D.C. and da 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 da, yeah, da yeah, yeah. That yeah. I think most people are not familiar with. But um, that's how Trump so, can come back. <laughs> when you say it's solvable in like the last minute, when you say it's solvable, what should we do? Just keep talking. These kinds of conversations, I feel like even maybe even two years ago, maybe we wouldn't have had just all out like, you know, me, me specifying the kind of depression I had to even before we started yeah. the interview, things like that. Like now it's just so open because I feel like all women went through it together because we were all trapped at one point inside our house oh during COVID. Gosh. So we all got the super, super, super rich. Yeah, they were able to buy another house or maybe go away to their own island or buy an island or whatever. But the majority of women were fucked together. Yes. And it, I think, yes. 
I'll never forget it. I'm still, I still have PTSD from it. Yeah, and that's why, these stat, that's why when these studies come, it's like, women postcards, like, no shit, man. We did so much. No one appreciated us. And we need to include pregnant women in vaccine trials. We need <laughs> oh to God, include more women in fucking clinical trials. And so we need terrifying. to, yeah. And we need to also include more people of color. I mean, have you heard that because we test primarily on white people, the, diabe- the diabetic machine doesn't pick up black yes. skin color? yes. What the fuck? I know. There was and now tw- we have the entire AI infrastructure oh, that is racist. Yeah, of course. And what sexist. is that? What is that? I don't even want to. I'm just like, what? I know. I'm like, I, I'll cross that bridge when I have the mental capacity in 10 years when my kids are grown enough. But <laughs> I think, seriously, I think I agree with you. Like, we have to talk about it. And, and talk me. about it serious, you know? Yes. Talk, and be, be serious. Like, this is a serious conversation. It's not like the clubbing that we're all drunk and busy. No, I'm not just in book clubs, but that's yes. what they always reduce us to. They it's like, no, us. this, you know, it's like, no, I'm speaking to an author. I'm speaking to a medical expert. I'm an expert myself. Yes. Like, this is a real conversation. We're fucking qualified. Yes, to have these. exactly. We're and if qualified. we don't have the, de- and if we don't have the fucking degrees, guess what? We have real life experience. Let me tell you. Every that's woman. the thing. That's the thing. We all have credibility because we have all lived this. We've done it. Lived experience is credibility. And I think uh, my parting thing is like, say, say it, say Say all the things, trust yourself, try to tap back into that intuition because that is what we have been forced to disconnect from for so long. You have to too. Parting words. To. You I have to too. I think if you meditate like even 20 minutes a day I, and reconnect with it, just but, because I, I have really found that's really helped I me know, because man, but I'm the caretaker. I have, I don't want life. you to feel I, disassociated. That's the, I know. that's the thing. But like, so many women are going to feel the same way I feel because we are doing, and I have a very involved um, partner as well. He's lovely, but still we are doing fucking. It's too much in America. It's too much in America. Motherhood and womanhood in America is seriously fucked up and they have to stop medicating us out of it, which I'm not anti, I'm really pro medication, Mm. but all it it has to be more than that. It has (laughs) to be more than that. We need to get paid leave. Can we start there? Can we get affordable childcare? Can we get something? Can we not? Anything. 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 Anything would help. I mean, can we not uh, have to do a, um, just, just the baby shower? Yeah. <laughs> Can we get a woman ready and be more honest about the postpartum everything? Yes. That's starting yes. to happen now. That I think is revolutionary. Yeah. And I yeah. think it, not revolutionary, but so, yeah, kind of revolutionary. So yeah. helpful. So important. We need it. That. Is. It is. So these conversations and treat it and take it seriously. And if yes. somebody's like, oh, girl, talk about boy problems, really just tell them to shut the up. I mean, I agree. And if someone tells you to shut the fuck up, know that you're probably saying the right thing. Everyone is catching Ambika and Anusha on like Friday <laughs> at almost 6 p.m. We have fucking had it this week. <laughs> I really and feel it. But what? also, may you have the may you have the confidence of a mediocre white man. Like that's a meme I saw. I try to really live by that because yes. I have imposter syndrome is real. But I really, it's so true. May you have the confidence of a mediocre white man. And the audacity. The audacity. Like, say it. Yes. Put your shit out there. Trust yourself over anyone. Think you're the best, the most amazing. Think you're overqualified. 
You, we usually are. And we're underselling ourselves. Ask oh. for the most money. <laughs> oh my God. I love no. that. Oh my God. Seriously, I wish we lived in the advice. same place so we could just go like slam some cocktails together. Yeah. Oh my God. That'd be awesome. That's exactly what I need to do after oh, cultural heritage tonight. All right. This was <laughs> like this was for, so such a, for such a difficult topic that one of the things I appreciate about you most and I like put in a Instagram fucking reel or story and then delete like didn't didn't save it I don't even know but I want you to hear that (laughs) you are talking about some of I'm getting choked up you are talking about some of the most important stuff of our time but you Mm -hmm. do it in a way that is accessible you do it in a way where it doesn't feel like you want to crawl into a hole and hide forever. You do it in a way that motivates people and makes people look up and out at what they can do. And that is a gift. Thank you so much. I feel so blessed to have connected with you and gotten to know you. And I think we're going to be friends for a really long time. I think so too. I was having such a shitty day and you sent me that message on LinkedIn and I was like, oh my goodness. I was just like, my work sucks. And my next book's never because you know, just like when it's everything wrong days and your message. Oh, my original message. Your original message on LinkedIn. And I was like, who's a supermodel? She's amazing. (laughs) Your headshot is hot. My sister took that in the bathroom. You know what? It's always a story like that. It's always it my is. very, very first one. My husband took like, and I used it for years. Yeah. But it's it was the best like, I've got. Mm, yeah. no one knows my angles like my sister. It's, it's uh, amazing. But so thank you. Thank you for saying that. That means uh, yes. so much to me, but also thank you for what you're doing. It's pretty awesome too. Thank you. We try. We try. Thank you.